turn on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware, consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Hey everyone, welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Naughty Talk. I'm Sunny Lee Main, she, her. I am so excited for our third season. We have some amazing guests and topics that I can't wait to share with you all. Before we get started, I'd like to just give a little bit of an update about both myself and the show. So the start of the season was a little bit delayed. Recently, one of my pups was diagnosed with cancer and taking care of him while he receives his chemotherapy treatment has really taken a lot of my time and my personal resources. At the time of his diagnosis, I was just about finished with book five in the Turn the Key series, which is still untitled. I'd lined up some wonderful guests for the season, but unfortunately, I had to sort of hit a giant pause button and put everything else on hold. On top of that, some of you may know that Mac and I had been building a new home and attached dungeon space, which unfortunately caught fire in the final stages of the building and was a total loss. Thankfully, nobody was harmed and we hadn't moved our belongings in yet. But still, wrapping everything up with the insurance and ultimately deciding to choose a new location has been quite a process and dominating a lot of our weekends. In any case, this season's going to look a little bit different. I'd intended it to air this spring, but with the delay in recording, we made a big push to get it ready for release during June. We kept the focus on maintaining quality over quantity in terms of segments and decided to run the season with a new episode every week instead of bi-weekly with shorts in between. So just this season, you can expect a new full episode every week. Some of the episodes might be a little bit shorter than usual. There were a handful of guests that we didn't get to record in time and who I'm hoping you'll still get to meet in season four. It's possible that if any big events are upcoming, we may decide to air a little update or short alongside a regular episode, but in order to make sure you don't miss any upcoming classes or events, you can go to sunnyleemain.com and join my mailing list. I'll be announcing the launch of my newest book via email and on the website when the time comes. Hopefully this will be later in the summer. I'm still really proud of what we produced, and I'm excited that we were able to meet our goal of incorporating listener questions this season. Thank you to everyone who's written in, waited patiently for our return, and on a personal level, who loved and supported us during this difficult time. We really hope you enjoy the season, and we hope to return to our original format and time for season four. All right, without further ado, let's kick off the season. Next up, we have Yoshi, he, him. Yoshi is a longtime volunteer and presenter at Kink Events. Some of his events have included Charmed, Kink Between the Lines, and Neela. Currently, he is actually the active volunteer coordinator for KBTL, Kink Between the Lines. How are you today? I'm good. It's really good to chat with you again. <laughs> Yay. And also, Yoshi is a PAC member who has evaded being on the show for quite some time now. So I'm really... <laughs> I'm really excited to have him on. And what better time to do it than 
during Pride Month. This is our first episode of the new season. We're airing it in June, so I'm excited for our topic today. But before we dive into that, I usually like to ask folks to sort of introduce themselves in terms of their roles and identities. Hi, I'm Yoshi. I am a trans man, and I am a switch with a penchant for bratting from both sides of the slash, because brats rule. I've been both a hypnotist and a hypnotee. I have been a, um, a bottom for rigging and oh my goodness, there's a long list, but those are the highlights. <laughs> Excellent. And what types of things have you presented on at various lifestyle events or been pa- part of a panel for that kind of a thing? Mm. I've done so many things with my partner HypnoStory before we met Panda, but on my own, I have done, most of my focus has been on POC inclusivity in um, kink. I've done panels for Charmed. I have done panels for Beguiled. I have done POC meet and greets or POC hangouts for Kink Between the Lines. Um, That's been my main focus recently. And since you are the volunteer coordinator, do you want to just remind folks what Kink Between the Lines is? Yes. uh, Kink Between the Lines is a um, kink event that is happening in July that is focused on giving attention to classes and presenters from marginalized communities, whether or not that's people of color, people with disabilities, um, people with children, and how they navigate that with kink. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And so, again, you know, it's our, our first episode of the season, and one of our goals this season is to involve our audience a little bit to allow people the opportunity to write in with questions. And so our topic is sort of related to a listener question that came in. And today's question came from Rosie, who asks about how to begin a path to transition. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about your journey. And then we're also going to provide some resources. Mm -hmm. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. So I think it's a good idea sometimes to start at the beginning of a story. And I'd Mm -hmm. like to just ask you to talk a little bit about how you became aware of your own identity. Yeah. So for me, it was interesting. I always kind of grew up and I was the the tomboy, right? I didn't like dresses, didn't do like makeup, was very into sports. Um, And my parents just kind of wrote it off as me being a tomboy. And that continued for most of my life there were phases of wanting to wear dresses and like phases of um, like girliness, quote unquote. But for me, the start of noticing that I wasn't okay in my gender as the way I was presenting it was shortly after seeing some of the photos from my wedding, I noticed that I recognized the person in those photos, but it didn't necessarily feel like me. And so that was kind of an eye-opening experience because I had never had such clear doubts about the way that I was presenting my gender. And so from there, I started sort of playing with the idea of gender fluidity to see like if that made me more comfortable. And the more I started playing with that, the more it became really clear that 
my gender identity was basically as far away from femme as I can possibly get myself. (laughs) Um, And that became, you know, it, it slowly just evolved into me being okay with admitting that, yeah, I'm a trans man. I am, you know, very queer, very flamboyant, but at the end of the day, I am a man. And that is what makes me the most comfortable. And if I recall, and I might be remembering the story wrong, so if I'm wrong, um, (laughs) totally correct me. But you had, I think, either two parts of your ceremony or two wedding ceremonies, one of which was kinky and one of which was a little bit more vanilla, right? No, you're absolutely right. I had a very uh, small vanilla ceremony with like family. And then a week after that, we had a collaring ceremony um, with our kink friends. And speaking of, thank you for reminding me, at that mm-hmm. ceremony, I actually had my head shaved by a very dear, very close friend of mine um, because I was holding on to a lot of baggage with my hair from um, a former partner. And I just decided, screw it. <laughs> and we had a moment in the party where they shaved my head completely. And I think that might have been, because I was looking at photos of the wedding and looking at photos of the collaring ceremony and seeing myself bald for the first time in my life. And I was like, whoa, I look good like that. (laughs) Well, when you told me the story, that kind of stuck out to me that that moment seemed like maybe it was kind of a Mm. important moment on your journey. Yeah, that that moment of seeing myself with no hair and like no perceived like feminine, you know, hairstyle, because I was still wearing, I had pretty much shaved most of it off at this point, but I still had a lot of it because I am African American and my hair is thick. (laughs) Um, So like seeing me with no hair at all was kind of an eye opener. It definitely was that. Wow, I could do I could rock that I could do that. And so we talked a little bit about maybe touching on some of the very first steps that you took towards living as your authentic self. Where did things kind of go from there? From there, at the beginning, there was experimenting with pronouns. And that was between like me and my husband. Very, very minimally. It wasn't like I didn't make it a widespread thing. I just kind of experimented with using they, them pronouns to see how that felt. Um, For, we probably did that for, I want to say like six months to, you know, between six months and a year. And it felt fine. And there was also some um, experimenting with like wearing some of his clothing or, you know, getting some more like gender neutral pieces or some more mask stuff to wear in between. And that was all I did at first for the first, I want to say, probably about a year, Mm -hmm. um, was just experimenting with pronouns, experimenting with clothing, with my hair, because it's hair, it grows back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not a huge deal. But yeah, that was that was all I did for the first good while. And then as I slowly experimented, I found myself more. I started using he, him pronouns. I started dressing mostly mask. And yeah, it was it was definitely it's an exploration into yourself. And it's not a clear linear process. 
there's always a lot of you're you're discovering yourself for the first time or you know for the second time really um there's always some playing in that i think that's a really important point and mm-hmm. you know i think it's common to think you have to have everything figured out immediately and i you know as a pansexual person struggled with like what best describes my sexual identity for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was like a period of time where I would have said, oh, maybe like heteroflexible. And I asked myself, like, what was that really based on? And I had basically like counted up my partners <laughs> and kind of thought like, you know, like, let's look at some ratios here to help me figure this out. But mm-hmm you know, that was also wrong because I fall in love with and feel attracted to people. And, you know, I had also not put myself out there in a way to attract attention from folks of other genders. So, you know, I realized that that was not really authentic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at the intensity of the connection with some of the other folks, even though there were not as many relationships early on, that sort of thing with other folks who identified as queer or as female, you know, some of those were the most intense connections of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of had like a little bit of an identity, like I had like embarrassment about, I got to a certain age without having figured it out. Mm. And looking around at like, you know, this kinky and queer community that I was enmeshed in and thinking like everybody else seems to have figured themselves out. And it's just me. Like I'm the only one who can't do this kind of internal reflection, but (laughs) it's not a, it's not an easy thing. And it's something that takes time, you know, like really spending time with yourself. And I think it's unrealistic and unfair for people to put the burden on themselves that they have to get it right exactly the first time and be like a hundred percent certain. Yeah. I'm, this will be five years um, for our wedding anniversary this year. Um, So it's been about five years since I started this journey. I'm still figuring myself out. Like I'm still figuring out my style. Um, I'm still figuring out like, I've just for the first time gone to see like a barber and like had that experience. Like I'm still brand new. I would not say I have my gender figured out. Like it's, it's still a work in progress. Totally fair. Totally fair. And so, you know, some baby steps we've talked about and then, when you reached the point where you started to feel like you had done some exploring and you were feeling more confident about your identity, what were the the next steps? Um, For me, the next steps were definitely getting a binder. (laughs) That was, that was an experience um, because you've met me. I'm I'm not a part of the itty bitty titty committee. (laughs) I have a very large chest, unfortunately, Um, And so for me, figuring out a binder that worked is a process. I have one brand that I use. Um, It's Underworks, I believe. The only brand I'll touch because they actually work for people with bigger chests. And getting a binder, starting to publicly use he, him pronouns in my everyday life, like in my professional life, 
were definitely the next big steps and some of the harder steps um, because I was being really vulnerable about myself with people who knew me in a professional setting and not necessarily knew a lot about me personally. And it went mixed there. You know, we live in a, a time where everybody has their feelings on things and some people were super supportive and some people were a little uncomfortable, but they got it eventually, you know? So do you mean that you sort of came out a little bit professionally before the folks in your personal life? Yes. Um, got it. And that was more because I was scared about my family's reaction. And I also live quite a distance away from my family. Um, so for me, it was more important to come out professionally and sort of put my family on the back burner in case they weren't a hundred percent okay with it because I was still sort of in the closet about, Oh, if my family doesn't like me, what do I do? Like the stakes are higher. Yeah. The, the stakes are much higher with, with family, especially when your family are more conservative um, and more religious it's the stakes are high. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. So yeah, I prioritized my professional life versus my personal. I think that that is a, a fairly common path where people are able to share their identity either with their chosen family mm. who have been chosen for reasons such as this person will support me no matter what, because I know they, you know, love me. Or because they have, you know, you make a connection over similar world views and kind of how you live your lives. Mm -hmm. Or with complete strangers before their, like, immediate biological family. Because you don't get to choose your biological family. And generally, you only get one. So, I feel like the stakes can feel very high. Yeah. And it's, it's scary if they don't respond well. You know? Um... But I will say, luckily for me, my family exceeded my expectations. And, it's amazing. You know, there, there are definitely parts of my family that I don't speak to. Um, and I've had to get over that. And I've had to just adjust to losing those parts. But overall, my family has been amazing. My siblings call me their big brother and that was one of the most wholesome moments of my life was just hearing that from them for the first time. You know, it was, it was definitely eye opening. and hearing my mother call me her son was definitely kind of made the risk worth it. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the, um, the highs and lows? I mean, you've, you've listed a few, but mm. some of the things that were really difficult and then, you know, some of the brighter moments. Yeah. Um, for me, a lot of the difficult moments are resulting in like a fear of not being accepted. So the, some of the difficult moments was the first time I ever went into a men's bathroom. Let me just say, <laughs> I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> Um, and I had to go in with my husband, um, because I was too, too scared to go in by myself. Um, and for me, that was one of the most difficult moments because I felt everyone watching me 
because this was pretty early on in me being on testosterone. This was pretty early on um, in my transition and we were in like a rest stop bathroom and I just had to go. Um, And I almost had a panic attack (laughs) after getting out of the bathroom and I've gotten over it now. But for me, that was one of the scariest moments for me was the fear of, am I going to get beat up? Am I going to get harassed? Um, You know, especially given what this country is right now, you know, the, that whole thing, we're not going to get into that too badly. Um, But that was one of the scariest moments for me. And a lot of it is just this fear of people's reaction. Um, When I get, I still get misgendered. I've been, you know, on this journey for five years. I still get misgendered to this day. Don't know how that happens, but it happens. Um, And I still have this moment of fear of, am I not accepted? Am I not trans enough? I sit there with it for a second. And then I'm like, look, there is no definition of how trans is trans. I am me and I am on this journey and it's going to look like what it's going to look like. And I, that's one of the things that's been able to reassure me through some of my like difficult moments. You know, that's a, an important point too. And it's actually something we touched on in an episode, I think with Panda, we talked a little bit about like gatekeeping and the queer community, but also just like things that people build up in their own minds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there can be this space of, I should be accepted within this space. That's what this space is for. And like, am I X enough to be here? You know, Mm. like, am I, you know, like in my case, you know, I have a very like femme presentation. There's nothing really about me outwardly that screams my identity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there can be a moment where somebody is like, well, like, I'm always worried somebody's going to like accuse me like, well, your two nesting partners are male identifying people. So how can you call yourself pansexual like that kind of a thing? Yeah, nobody has ever done that to me. But in my brain, like inside of myself, you know, I have wondered if I would ever be put on the spot to justify my identity. Mm-hmm. And I I feel that a lot like that happens almost every day for me. Um, and I, I, I totally get it. Cause it's, there's nothing outwardly that people are displaying that makes you think that, but it's just your own subconscious making you doubt it. Anything else in terms of like some of the tougher stuff? Um, for me, it's, it's mostly dealing with what I call brain weasels <laughs> of how <laughs> I'm going to be judged by other people. Like that's, I am admittedly incredibly lucky to live in the area that I live in. I have not had to deal with too much, um, too much negativity or, um, difficulties, um, so far knock on every piece of wood in my house right now <laughs> thank you i don't know if that'll pick up i heard it <laughs> yeah well then how about some of the the brighter moments moments that gave you joy that made you feel gender euphoria um for me the first time i went to a family event 
it was a, a wedding for someone in my husband's family. I wore a suit. And I'm pretty sure I've shown you the photos. Um, it was mm-hmm. me in the, a blue, a bright blue uh, dress shirt with a vest that I had custom fit to me um, because of my body type and the way it is. I have a very curved back and a, a very full butt. So most vests don't fit unless I have them fitted to me. The first time I dressed in a suit for a family event and had everyone just responding positively to the way that I looked and the way that I was presenting myself, I cried a bit. <laughs> it was one of those moments of feeling like, yeah, this is this is who I'm supposed to be. Um, and most recently I mentioned that I went to a barbershop for the first time. And I'm going to that- get like Misty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, don't you a- make me cry on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an incredible feeling though of, figuring out yeah this is this is exactly oh I'm gonna make you cry don't worry I have one that's gonna make you cry (laughs) Um, (laughs) the first time of having a haircut at a barbershop and them just treating me like one of the guys you know not having to negotiate my you know explaining that you know I'm a trans dude or whatever just them treating me like one of the guys and also We recently got back from a trip to Disney World, and I had the most gender euphoria at Disney World that I have ever experienced in my my transition. I was never misgendered. I was misgendered once, literally once, the entire 13 days we were down there. And the woman who did it immediately apologized, immediately corrected herself. But I would go the whole day hearing cast members and people call me a guy walking into the men's room and not feeling afraid. You know, it was, and dressing like, honestly, dressing like the stereotypical vacation dad in shorts and khakis with like bright (laughs) shirts. And it felt so good. It felt like me. And I there are times there are moments where I think about that Disney trip when stuff gets, you know, when my emotions get down or when I get sad and I'm just like, look, it's possible. Like I lived 13 days as my authentic self without a second of doubting who I was. That's amazing. And that, that gets me through sometimes, you know, Disney's been in the media a lot. I feel like for pushing back against pressure to, not let queer identities be visible within the parks. Mm. I've actually seen several things pop up about that recently. I was, I was admittedly scared about going to Florida and, you know, going to Disney. There was a lot of fear there, but it was one of these singular eye-opening experiences for me. It was so full of euphoria. I, there were times where, interacting with trans with uh, cast members and um, like after we finished interacting and they gendered me correctly, I would look at like both my partners and I would start squeeing. I would literally start like, I would start having moments of like super happiness that like, I, got I am gendered. familiar with such a squee. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I know you've, you've been around us long enough, but like, um, but yeah, there were moments of just, I, I genuinely just could not, 
understand how this was so hard, you know, like how coming back here, like Mm -hmm. literally, oh my God, when we got off the plane and we got back here, I immediately got misgendered. That had not happened the entire time I was in Florida. And I was just like, what, what, how? (laughs) But yeah, it was. That's such a jarring, like unpleasant end to that positive experience. Yeah. But I immediately, as soon as I, you know, as soon as it happened, I was like, this did not happen at Disney. Huh. Disney was a really good experience. (laughs) It was just, it was a little bit of whiplash, but it was, you know, I immediately came out of it and thought about all of the fun that I had had at Disney, you know, and I will say Mm -hmm. they did a really great job of, they do a great job of making people feel accepted, you know? Love hearing that. Would I do it again? Not anytime soon, (laughs) (laughs) but it was a great experience. Fair, fair. My, my wallet is still very unhappy. (laughs) this is fair all right so there are a lot of different options for folks who are in transition and want to express themselves differently in a physical way or in an outward way Mm -hmm. and you know we've kind of talked about there's no right or wrong no incorrect path but would you like to say a little bit about what some of the options are or even why you made some of your own choices? Mm. Um, and I can only speak to, you know, the trans masculine experience because I, I didn't, I'm not flipping the other way. Um, so for my, my trans femmes, I'm sorry. I, I personally don't know a lot of the, the medical options or a lot of the options in general. Um, but for those of you who are, on the masculine end. Um, I personally am, you know, I'm on testosterone. I have been for three years. Um, my doctor has been monitoring me, you know, we've had our ups and downs with that, um, which is completely normal, mind you. Um, which was shocking for me of like having to readjust and like readjusting testosterone is weird. Um, (laughs) and it, it is a process Um, but for me, I've considered some of the medical options. Um, and for me, like top surgery is something that I am considering. Um, because as I have mentioned, I do not have a, a tiny chest. I have a very full, um, triple, triple D, um, cup chest. At least it was as far as the last time I measured, so for me, I would like to reduce the size of that. So I don't have to bind if I don't want to. That is more of a comfort thing because binding sometimes can hurt or can be uncomfortable. And can be dangerous, right? If you don't have the right. It can be if you're not, if you're not doing it correctly or if you're doing it too often, like most binders will tell you in their instruction guides and like in their FAQs, you're only supposed to bind for about eight hours at a time. And for me, that's great for work. But like when I take my work clothes off and I take my binder off, my chest is still there and that can mess with me. Um, So I'm definitely considering doing top surgery. I am probably considering doing a hysterectomy at some point because I don't need it. (laughs) It is absolutely useless for me. Um, But as far as 
um, other procedures, um, like bottom surgery, for example, I've kind of ruled them out right now. And that may change down the line. But for me, the bottom surgery has a lot of risks involved. And it isn't necessarily functional in the way that I would want it to be useful for, you know, stand to peeing, you know, for example, but also there are products that you can do that with anyway. But for me, it does not have full functionality in a way that I would want to use it. So it is off the table. Um, we will see in a few, you know, in a few years when the technology has improved where that decision is. Um, and like I said, it's all in flux. Everything can change, but that's just where my opinion is for me, for myself personally. And what are some of those products that are sort of an alternate to medical? If you want to use like a stand to pee option, there are packers that you can buy that literally slip into something that looks like a jock strap um, that you put this um, device in. It sort of looks like, um, like a cup, like a cup with, you know, a dick on the end of it, essentially, <laughs> um, that you can use, you can, you know, pull it out of your, um, your jeans or whatever, if you go into a men's bathroom, and you literally will stand to pee. Um, and that is a complete, you know, that's a completely viable option for a lot of people, instead of, you know, necessarily having to look to have bottom surgery, or, if they're not comfortable using a stall in the men's room, which I know that can be awkward, you know, because most guys will, you know, use a urinal. Um, personally for me, I find them absolutely vile. Um, so I will happily go into a stall and do my business. <laughs> well, plus men go in there to poop too. Like people use the stall for other reasons. Exactly. Um, and for me, it's just easier to just go in, um, go into the stall and just do my business. Um, because mainly because of the way my anatomy is stand up. packers are not one size fits all I have found. And depending on the shape of your anatomy and where, you know, where your, where your urethra is, um, sometimes they don't work without making a mess. And for me personally, I would just like to not deal with the, uh, the mess part of it. Totally fair. Do you want to touch on some of the options for sexy times? We are a sexy time podcast. <laughs> we are in fact a sexy time podcast. <laughs> for me, a lot of my, because I'm sort of on the gray A spectrum, um, a lot of my sexy times tend to revolve around myself in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, I'm very, I'm very much a solo player in a lot of ways. So one thing I will talk about, because it has been, hmm, it has been great, is the, uh, um, so for me, one thing that has been really great has been the Hush um, butt plug. That thing is amazing. Um, it's been really great. But it's also been really sort of gender euphoria, euphoria -ing inducing, gender euphoria mm, words. Um, it has been gender euphoria inducing. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I swear, words are hard. Okay. <laughs> um, but that thing 
it hits in a spot that like tricks my brain into thinking there's a prostate there sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's really great for both solo play and remote play um, for like long distance, because it has an app that you can control it um, through your phone. Mm -hmm. I recently got my first love ends product. I had never done it before. So (laughs) I love them. They're great. Um, Another option is if you are doing play with a partner strap-ons are a thing that exists um and they can be great i will say as someone who has been on testosterone for many many years use more lube than you think you need something that a lot of trans men experience is vaginal atrophy so our you know our vagina starts uh sort of losing muscle tone and does not produce as much fluid as um, it used to. So doing Kegels is uh, one thing that I'm going to recommend for trans dudes. Uh, It's going to feel weird. Do it. Trust me. (laughs) There is also the possibility that your OB or your GYN, sorry, wrong one, um, may recommend that you use estrogen cream to... um, to help keep that area healthy and flexible and stretchy like it's supposed to be, it genuinely makes a difference. Um, it genuinely helps with both sexy fun times and with medical exams, because that is still a thing that you are going to have to do. I'm giving all kinds of advice today. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, we're doing it, right? Mm. We had a request for advice. So, um, so feel free to share all of your, your wisdom <laughs> with our listeners. Yeah. That first time going in, like I had been on testosterone for a few months for just a few months at that point. And the first time going in for a GYN appointment, I definitely noticed it was uncomfortable. And my GYN was like, yes, because you need estrogen. Um, even though you were on testosterone, you still need estrogen to keep your, your, that your vagina from, uh, basically turning dry and crumbling essentially that was not the word she used but it's the word that i'm gonna use <laughs> <laughs> so yes you need help with keeping your your vagina you know stretchy flexible and all of those things um and that does come into play when you're doing you know when you're doing self-play when you're masturbating when you're playing with a partner because you're gonna need more lube than you think a lot of times Um, Just so things don't get uncomfortable, um, just so that you don't run the risk of, um, I have numerous amounts of times have played with myself and then realized that I actually have like either stretched too hard or scratched myself too easily and have triggered bleeding because it's a thing. Your your vagina needs help, (laughs) basically. Thank you for being real with us about you know, some of the more intimate details. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. Everybody has a body, right? Everybody's body does weird shit. And I think normalizing, discussing those things openly is really important. And like, it was something that I wish somebody had told me when I first started, like when I first started transitioning and when I first started on testosterone, it was something that I wish somebody had said, Hey, this is a thing. Be on the lookout for it. So if I can do that for someone else, like it's fulfilling something I wish somebody had done for me. And speaking of which, so if you are willing, one of the things that I would love to do is sort of ask you if you could go back 
knowing what you know now and speak to yourself at the beginning of this journey, what kind of tips would you give? What would you say to yourself? If I could go back, honestly, a lot of it would be, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to struggle and that's okay. Also, maybe don't care so much about what everyone else thinks. What's most important is what you are comfortable with and what makes you feel good. I spent a lot of my beginning transition worried about worried too much about what other people thought. And I would basically say, screw that. This is about you and about what makes you comfortable screw everyone else, you know, as long as you're not actively hurting anyone, like screw whatever people think. Um, also I would definitely tell myself about the vagina thing because good God, that would have been useful. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been so useful. (laughs) But yeah, a lot of my, my personal issues have to do with caring too much about what everyone else thinks. And So for me, that would have been the biggest help was screw that. Do you, you're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to change your mind 50 billion times about what your damn name is supposed to be. And that's okay. Um, (laughs) The amount of names that I went through before I finally decided on my new name. You finally made it permanent too, legally. I did. You don't have to say what, obviously for, you know, privacy, but you, you went and made it permanent. I did, but I went through so many names and like, not sure about what was right. I think I actually only told my partners too, but like, I went through so many names in my head and it was, it was a struggle to figure out like what my name was going to be. And a lot of that is just, I wish I would have told my partners more or like played with more names with them because it probably would have narrowed it down quicker. <laughs> God, That's it was, fair. It was such a long process, but also trust your partners, you know, to give you solid advice instead of trying to do so much of it on your own. Because I did so much of this process in my own head. And I swear to you, it made it 10 times more complicated than it needed to have been. Those are some excellent pearls of wisdom. Thank you for sharing. And I'm really hoping that our listener that wrote in and our our listeners in general will find some things that will speak to them in there. I do too. Because that's, you know, all I want is for someone else going through this same journey to have someone at least have me be able to say, Hey, this is a journey and you're not alone. You know, I think that's important. It is important. And if folks want to maybe like go online and do some research about different resources, find some support. Do you have a couple of places that people can go just to sort of get started? Yeah, the two that I always recommend to people um, and that I have used, I've used the GLAD transgender resources, and I'll give the link in a second. GLAD's resources have always been great. And the Trans Lifeline has always been a great option as well. Um, and I will give those. It is um, www.glaad.org slash transgender slash resources. And translifeline.org slash about 
those two are invaluable resources to the trans community. And I really recommend them. Those are great places to start, but also you can find, you know, trans community pretty much anywhere. I was talking to Sunny earlier about, I have found so much info on TikTok (laughs) over the last, like since the pandemic began. And it's crazy how much I'm still learning just from finding other trans people on TikTok. And that has been a great resource as well. Although maybe don't take medical advice. Do not take medical advice from TikTok. (laughs) Do not take. Sorry, I have to come in here with the PSA. Like just, you know. (laughs) Do not take medical advice from TikTok. But there have been other great parts of it. Also, if you're going to take medical advice, get a doctor who specializes in trans in trans issues, if that's an option. I know that's not an option for everyone, but like find a doctor and a therapist who specialize in trans issues. Um, therapy via the internet is becoming a thing. And I know there are a lot of um, therapists who specialize in trans um, issues that are available online. I have used several of them that is an option as well. And honestly, everybody should be in therapy regardless of if you're trans or not. (laughs) You know, I actually also saw it came across, I think like my Facebook feed. Mm. So I can't speak specifically to the company, but I saw a company called Folks Health, F-O-L-X. Oh, I've seen them. Yeah. And they're advertising that they actually provide, I believe, hormone therapy and transition care via telemedicine. And Mm. so, again, I cannot speak to the specific practice. I don't know anybody personally who has used it, but it does seem like as, you know, many, as many places in our country that are sort of a care desert for this type of care, that telemedicine is starting to step in just like it is with mental health care Mm. to provide resources to folks who can't find somebody, you know, in person, right where they live. It's definitely worth looking into, but do your research, look at reviews, look at, you know, look at what other patients have said, Mm -hmm. Just to make sure, you know, and a lot of times go with your gut. If something feels off, it might be off. You know, I I do have a go with your gut feeling about a lot of things. Yeah. And I mean, really with, you know, we talk a lot about this with kink. If you think something is a good decision and you make the choice to pursue it, you can revoke your consent at any point in the process. Like it's okay to say, you know what? you know, maybe this wasn't what I thought it was. And so I'm not going to do it like those types of things, you know, in in both kink. And I think when you're exploring your identity, it's okay to take a step back and say, you know what, maybe this isn't what I thought it was, or, you know, I want to find a better resource, find a better, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. Thank you for having this talk with me and for finally getting your butt on the show. (laughs) Well, you had a topic I'm passionate about. Of course, I'm going to be here. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm really, really, really happy to have you. (laughs) Something that like you didn't have already someone else lined up for. So, you know. Yeah. Well, I've been kind of in the back of my mind. Like I figured I would eventually come across a topic that would be perfect and I would be able to kind of like lure you (laughs) onto the show. You got me. Um, I got you. Thanks for doing it. I hope you'll be back. Of course. um, Yay. And happy pride, everybody. Happy pride. Seriously. 
Thanks as always for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnyleemain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.